This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Salutations, we're back, and I've got a great interview with Carl Sakis, whose whole job is to help agencies around the world, agencies like yours and mine, figure it all out, how to improve, how to grow. His business is called Sakis & Company, and you can unsurprisingly find them online at sakisandcompany.com. Sakis is spelled S-A-K-A-S. Carl's also written numerous books on agency growth, including The In-Demand Marketing Agency, How to Use Public Speaking to Become an Agency of Choice, and Made to Lead, A Pocket Guide to Managing and Marketing Creative Teams, which I just finished reading, and it's great, and it'll cost you less than a deli sandwich. So check out the link in the show notes at creativeagencypodcast.com. Also, be sure to check out our new resources page where I'm compiling a list of agency resources that we use and or find useful here at Murmur Creative. Carl also references a number of the 200 or so articles that he's written about agency management and agency growth during the interview, and those particular articles will be linked in the show notes as well. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hi, Carl. Welcome to the show. Chris, great to be here. Um, So where are you calling in from? I am in Raleigh, North Carolina. Excellent. Excellent. Um, now, your business, Sakis and Company, helps agencies grow, correct? That's right. Clients typically run digitally oriented agencies, and they are growing quickly, typically at least 30% a year, and they reach out to me when they run into growing pains. Oh, wow. So you sort of qualify them that they're, they're already growing 30% per year before you engage with them? Typically, sometimes people reach out when they're trying to sort out that process, but my work typically focuses on agency process, and you need you need process when when things are moving really fast. I, I mean, well, everyone benefits from process. Yeah. But typically clients, at least 30%, and, and some clients are growing 100% or more. Um, we would fall into that because we grew 45% this year, so. <laughs> I, so you probably have had at least a growing pain or two. Yeah. <laughs> well, a few. <laughs> so you actually have quite a lot of agency experience. You've led two um, business operations at two agencies, correct? That That is correct. I, I started in the industry when I was in high school. I learned HTML. I started a, a web design practice. In fact, my first paying client for web design, you know, this is back in the days of dial-up and IE3, was a small agency in the Washington, D.C. area. That's cool. And then, and then, so did you grow sort of your own agency? In the the work that I did in high school and college, I, I kept that fairly small. You know, so I was doing that as a freelancer. And then, fast forward, joined two agencies as a project manager and head of business operations, and then launched my consulting practice in 2013. Um, and you've actually written numerous books. Um, I actually haven't read any of them yet. I did order Made to Lead, a Pocket Guide to Managing Marketing Creative Teams, and our account director just ordered the In-Demand Marketing Agency, How to Use Public Speaking to Become an Agency of Choice. And uh, we'll swap those out after uh, after they arrive. Excellent. Th- those are I've designed them to be quick reads. The Made to Lead, which is around leading agency teams, I've heard anywhere from people reading it in 30 minutes to one person said they read it in about 20 minutes. It, it literally fits it fits in your pocket. Oh, nice. Uh, the other the other one on, on public speaking to grow your agency that that 
I'm hearing from people closer to two hours or so. Still, still a quick read. Excellent, excellent. Um, it's always, you know, when I first started this podcast, I went out sort of on Amazon looking for books about creative agencies, and there aren't a whole lot out there. So every time I discover one, I get excited. <laughs> nice, nice. So how do you usually engage with an agency um, when you work with them to help them grow? Like, where do you start once you've engaged with the agency? My overall approach as an agency consultant and coach is to begin with the end in mind. As Stephen Covey said, the idea is where does the agency owner want to go? You know, many of my clients have a sole owner, sole partner. Other times there are two to three partners. Uh, If they have more than that, usually it tends to be a little complicated in terms of where where things are going. Uh, But say it's, you know, one or two partners. Ultimately, where do they want to go? One of the key questions is whether they want to run leaning toward either a lifestyle agency or a high growth agency. You know, high growth is grow as fast as possible, typically with some sort of an exit in mind in the next five years or so. Mm-hmm. And then lifestyle is more about get a good income, you know, certainly have profits, but really it's about funding your activities outside of the agency. And and most people are somewhere in the middle, but they tend to lean toward either high growth or lifestyle. Gotcha. What do the sizes of like the number of um, employees usually range from in the in the agencies you work with? So far, it's been everywhere from an in- one person just getting started to as many as 700 employees. Typically, though, clients are between 10 and 100. Gotcha. So today, I wanted to focus on scope creep. This is a danger that all agencies face, and we've struggled with it quite a bit here at Murmur Creative. Maybe just start with sort of describing scope creep. Absolutely. Scope creep is a client service and project management challenge that agencies run into where clients expect the agency to deliver more than the agency is agreed to deliver. Sometimes it's because the client has requested it and the agency hasn't said no, either because they didn't realize or didn't catch that it wasn't in scope. And other times agencies over-deliver either intentionally or not. Uh, Either way, scope creep is clients unintentionally getting more than the agency should be giving them. Gotcha. That's a good definition. You wrote an article called uh, Shortcut to Increase Agency Profits, Kill Scope Creep with These Seven Magic Words. Can you tell us what those seven magic words are? Would you like an estimate for that? <laughs> that is that is a pretty powerful phrase. It is. It is. It, it, it doesn't have to be the very first thing you ask. You know, if, if a client says, hey, we're thinking of doing this or that, you know, talk about it first. I, I spoke at the Adweek DC conference last year and was speaking with someone who, who is a marketing manager at a, a client-side organization. And I said, you know, I, I work with a lot of agencies. Uh, what, what would you want agencies to know? And she said, oh, you know, it's, it's, about, it's about scope. You know, if I ask for something new, don't automatically say that's not included. You know, let, let me talk about it first. Uh, so that, that is worth considering. But ultimately, you'll get to a point where, you know, clients are saying, okay, here's what we have in mind. Talk through it, this and that. Now what? And that's where the, would you like an estimate for that comes in. You know, asking this question is super important, but it can also surprise the heck out of a client, how, how do you prepare a client for that sort of discussion? We were just talking about, you know, not springing it on them necessarily. Is there anything you can sort of do early on to make sure that it's not a surprise when it comes up? Absolutely. At the kickoff meeting, you want to review the scope for the work you're doing. 
it is worth considering that there are three agency pricing models, hourly, milestone, and value-based. Scope creep is a biggest problem in milestone projects and retainers. That's where it's a fixed bid, fixed scope situation. You know, the client is paying you a set amount and you will deliver what you've agreed to deliver. Uh, with hourly, there's a little bit more flexibility in, you know, oh, this isn't in scope, but we'll get it done. Just the client has to pay the hourly rate for it. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, it's up to you as the agency owner or your client service team, your project management team, to manage clients' expectations from the beginning about what's included. One of the things you can do in the sales process is a have a section in your in your proposal, but certainly in your statement of work, a list of exclusions. Mm-hmm. That is, things that you may have talked about that did not make it into the final scope. And have the client sign off on that. That way later they said, oh, you know, we were going to do the such and such celebrity endorsement kind of kind of thing. Uh, you can remind them that, yeah, we, we talked about that, but that didn't make it into your final final budget. Oh, that's a really good piece of advice. You know, we do put things that are not included into the scope. I hadn't thought of sort of things that were mentioned in discussions, I guess, as things that are not included in the scope. Because a lot of times we have, when we bid like a website project, we have like, here's 20 things that are not included. And once the client sees them, they'll say, maybe I want that one, or I don't want that one, or this is fine. But um, yeah, there's a lot of times when you're discussing with a client and there's like, well, it might be nice to do this later down the line, but you got to make sure that they don't suddenly decide that that was included in the scope. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, whether you want to list it as exclusions or options for phase two or, or something like that, the key is that it may not become a problem, but if it does, you will be extremely glad you had that and that you, you asked the client to sign off. Now, um, when Murmur Creative started, we pretty much did everything that was asked of us, and even if it made the project lose money, because we were so afraid of losing the client. How, you know, especially to people who are just starting out, how do you, how do you tell them that they need to be brave and they need to, you know, coach them to put their foot down? Well, I'm not going to judge them for that. When you're starting out and you feel like, well, you've got to get anything in the door, working on building your portfolio and things like that. To me, it's okay if you overdeliver, mm-hmm. and you know, typically you're not not doing a great job estimating early on. I, I have an article to share about for the show notes about creating better estimates. But you know, odds are when you're starting out, you're going to make some some bad estimates. Uh, you're not going to scope things out properly, so you've implied that something's included when maybe maybe it's not. Uh, that that kind of thing. So I, I will say, if you feel like you need to because you need to make the money, you know, I, I understand. The key, though, is that it needs to be a short-term temporary thing. You know, any work you're doing that, you know, I mean, especially going into it knowing that you're losing money, you, you've got to limit what you're doing there. Certainly, if it's definitely going to lose money, you do want to think twice about is it worth it because if you aren't estimating it well and your estimate up front is you're going to lose money, you're probably going to lose even more money than you expected. Right. Uh, but, you know, for say it's a case where, where it's a small scope project for an enormous brand uh, that, that would be great for your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're willing to invest in that to, to be able to say it's in your portfolio. In that case, though, be really sure that part of your statement of work with them and, and the master services agreement gives you permission to name their their brand as a client. 
a lot of contracts that clients create specifically have a section that say you can't use their name for marketing purposes. Right. If you're giving someone a really good deal and you want to mention their brand, you better negotiate getting permission to name them. Yeah, that's that's really important for us. I, you know, our work is our marketing. So if we weren't able to use it, then it, it would not be super worthwhile for us. And we, you know, we take on clients that we know we're probably not going to make a profit off or we might lose a little money on, but we know that it could be high profile, that it could get us more work. Um, we just have to sort of balance that. It, exactly. I, I think the key thing here is that doing something for, for free or at a discount is okay, but it has to be strategically free, not secretly free. Now, you mentioned a little bit about your article um, on pricing and, and sort of scoping. I haven't read it, but I would love to hear some high points from that. Absolutely. Uh, certainly, the, the pricing piece in general, you know, I mentioned those three models, whether to do hourly, milestone, or value-based, and that's certainly a, a starting point. But when it comes to doing better estimates, there are a few, few key things to keep in mind. Uh, first, when you're, when you're doing better estimates, the, there is a reason for it, which is higher profits for your agency. Mm -hmm. And higher profits ultimately mean you can pay yourself more, you're going to increase your valuation if you're planning to sell. There are a lot of good things about higher profits. So it just helps to frame a, you know, it's worth it. The first is past experience in terms of doing better estimates. And you want to build an estimate library. You know, let's say you are, you're doing a website, you know, you know you're going to do a variety of things. One is you're going to design the homepage and then you're going to do the front end development to build the homepage. And there may be a back end piece as well. You should have estimate ranges for those. You know, at, at one agency where I was a project manager, we had standard estimates. You know, uh, designing a homepage, 24 hours. Doing front-end development, another 24 hours. Doing an interior page was a certain number of hours for design, certain number for front-end, and so on. If you're doing something over and over again, you should have a process for it. And if you're doing it over and over again, you should have some sort of an estimate as well. So build that library. That also means that you, if you are the person doing the estimate, you are not going to have to interrupt your subject matter expert team all the time with, you know, hey, we're doing another website, uh, you know, give, give me an estimate for everything. No, it's your job to sort out most of that and then talk to your subject matter experts for custom pieces that are going to be unique to, to a particular project. Yeah, we, we've actually just recently started, well, I guess in the last year or so, we started using a 10,000 feet to record sort of the number of hours it takes for each sort of phase in the process. Um, and now we can look back and say, how how many hours did that project take and use that as a basis? It's very helpful. And, and you found it has improved things. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. So d number one, I, I have four things in particular on, on better estimates. So number one is using past experience, build that estimate library. Second is to do a work breakout, which is ultimately, or a WBO, a work breakout is a quantitative debrief. You look at how long did it take, you know, wh whether you're using 10,000 feet or, or just using a spreadsheet, you're looking at, okay, we assumed it would take this long, here's how long it actually took. And I, I have found often uh, major mismatches when I go through this with clients, anywhere from 
increasing if you extrapolate their profits by 50,000 quarter of a million even 2 to 3 million dollars a year wow yeah and and you don't have to do a work breakout for every single project i would start by doing it on a number of projects but as your profits go up, you, you should be able to cut back on, on how often you do it. Uh, part three is to get input from your team. That is, do ask your subject matter experts for input on estimates. Again, don't ask them every single time about kind of off-the-shelf things, but certainly if it's custom work, you do want to get their input because they're going to stay more likely to stay on budget if it's work they'd estimated themselves. They are going to be better at estimating the work than you are. Uh, given their their expertise, uh, assuming that you're primarily the project manager or the agency owner or or the salesperson, they can also give you a sense of which things are risky or not. So ultimately, you can you can get that input. The key is you do not want to be interrupting them all day. Right. Maybe maybe you can block in some time. You know, it depends on your overall sales estimate volume, but maybe it's a couple days a week. Uh, and importantly, uh, you know, Paul Graham, the venture capitalist, talks about maker versus manager schedules. Make sure the time that you ask ask them for estimates is not interrupting their day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a project manager, I like to do either right before or right after lunch when I knew that, say, developer or designer was taking a break. That way, I wasn't interrupting the flow of what they were doing in the morning or the afternoon. Yeah, I mean, especially especially in the open office environment, there's so many distractions to begin with. <laughs> exactly, and then the, and then the fourth, you know, we, we talked about uh, past experience of that estimate library. Do a work breakout debrief. Ask your subject matter experts, SMEs, and then the fourth one is to look at weighted averages. That is, get an estimate for best case, worst case, and likely case. And this works whether you're, regardless of the pricing model, because ultimately for every agency, your inventory is your team's time, regardless of how you price for it. So ultimately, you're trying to get a sense of what's the best case, worst case, likely case, and then you can create a weighted average of those. And you'll have to decide what what kind of weighting structure makes the most sense. But the the point ultimately is that between that range, the the answer is somewhere in the middle, most likely. So when you're saying weighted, weighted average, that's the actual price that you give to the potential client? Yes, although make sure you add project management and client service time on that. Uh, so, I mean, you know, for instance, if you were to do a an unweighted average, maybe the the optimistic best case is something might take two hours, worst case is six hours, likely is four. In that case, you'd average it and you know, you'd say four hours. Gotcha. Uh, but do, do be sure to, to include project management time. My recommendation is take all of the subject matter expert work, designers, developers, copywriters, strategists, add it up, and then add 20 to 35% on top of that. Interesting. Yeah. Makes sense. Because otherwise you're not going to, in that case, you are doing the project management and client service time, but not getting paid for it. Which means, you know, for instance, say you total things up and the project is 100 hours, you really need to be assuming 120 to 135 hours if you're pricing hourly or if you're using using that to inform what um, what the fixed bid is going to be. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, value base is different. But ultimately, the point is, if you're going to do it, you might as well get paid for it. 
you know, one of the guests I had on the show was really against hourly pricing, really thought everything should be priced by the day. While I find that interesting and maybe something we can do eventually, it seems hard for me because we still, there's still tasks and projects that don't take a whole day. So um, have you, do you have any advice on sort of pricing by hour per opposed to by day? My clients in Europe, typically, if, if they are doing hourly based pricing, you know, we will provide a team or someone for whatever needs to happen. Typically, they will do a day rate. Uh, and that rate is going to vary. You know, a project manager might be at one rate, a developer might be at another, designer might be at another. In the U.S., though, typically it, it is more common to do hourly if if you per hour f- under the hourly model. Mm-hmm. Do you vary? Like we actually just kind of use one hourly rate. We don't break it up amongst who's actually doing the work or what their role is. And I don't know if that's a good idea or if it's because we're kind of small. Part of my thinking is that, you know, everything that we do, even if it's a junior person's work, gets looked at and worked on by a senior person. So, but I, but I can also see the other um, side of it. Ultimately, that that becomes a, a values decision, you know, whether you're focused on the cost to you or the, the value to the client. In general, the trend is toward blended rates. That is one rate for everyone at the agency. Uh, so, I mean, you're, you're in line with, with where things are headed, uh, but, you know, still uh, a, a significant chunk of agencies, if they are doing hourly pricing, have a, a different rate for each type of person. I, you know, I think a, a challenge with the different rate per role is that then it, it increases the sensitivity of clients thinking about what they're getting. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, oh, okay, that person was 200, but, you know, that person was 125. And they start, th- well, you know, is the 125 person as good? Uh, that that kind of thing. So either approach can work, but when you have a separate rate per resource, that gets clients thinking about about what exactly they're paying for, not so much the the value they're actually getting from your agency. Gotcha. That makes sense. Good. I feel comfortable then. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, you know, it seems like there's a limit to how much you can anticipate in in an initial contract. I mean, we. We'll have a couple of meetings with a client before we sign them because they're not huge clients. A lot of times they're small businesses and um, we don't have, I guess we don't have a ton of leeway as far as, you know, spending hours and hours with the client before they sign on the dotted line. So, you know, the scope isn't always as nailed down as we'd like it to when they sign on the dotted line. Do you sort of recommend like a continual sort of updating of scope or like a separate scope document that you sort of pass back and forth between you and the client? You definitely want a way to track a backlog of client requests that are not in scope. You know, that part of the the value of those seven magic words, would you like an estimate for that, is that clients can decide if they want that estimate or not. You know, sometimes they'll say, oh, it's extra, never mind. Sometimes they'll say, yeah, give, give me the estimate and then I'll decide. And then in a small portion of cases, clients may say, you know, estimate, extra, I thought this was included and, and they're they're not happy about it, but at least now you can address it. By having that backlog and also ideally in a way that clients can prioritize the backlog, then you can focus on what's most important to them. It also gives you a way to handle those incoming requests without having to pause every single time, scope it out, and handle it. 
some requests you will, but typically not. And then maybe once a week or every couple of weeks, you can review it with the client and say, you know, which of these things would you like us to, to scope out? That makes sense. It, it is worth considering whether your agency is doing agile versus waterfall project management. Mm-hmm. You know, waterfall traditional, let's figure out all of the details and all the pieces and plan it out and then do it. Agile is more flexible. You know, there, there are different flavors of agile, but ultimately it's what are the overall priorities? We're going to work through it, and we can't guarantee everything we're going to complete, but we can guarantee we'll complete your top priorities. That does require a bit more trust from clients because they're crossing their fingers and hoping you're going to do everything you said that that, that you will. Uh, but you know, the reality is Waterfall has major problems in the sense that you don't know everything beforehand. You could spend tons of either billable or not billable time trying to scope it out. But even then, you're going to miss things. Yeah. The, the key is that you protect yourself, whether it's through an agile backlog where you're working through the, the list of things or by by being very strict about what is or isn't in scope and, and getting change orders. Change orders. Yeah, that's something that we've sort of, you know, I, I think as an agency, we've probably you know, only accomplish like two or three change orders. It's become something that we're talking a lot about more with our clients. Like if something changes, it creates a change order. <laughs> um, what What have you, in terms of the client reaction, or you mentioned just a couple so far, are there particular challenges you've seen? It's still a little early in the process. What we've been doing is we sort of have something in our in our contract now that says that things outside of this scope will involve a change order. In cases where we have had to sort of create a change order, it hasn't been super difficult because, um, like in one case, it was a video that was obviously not in the scope of the website, and we had to work with a third party, and you know that that went pretty smoothly. Um, I think that, and you know, other times it's something that, like you said, like it gets added to the backlog, and maybe we do it, and maybe we don't, but it's usually something that happens after the completion of the initial project. But I do see, you know, it is an opportunity to sort of upsell the client, but um, we haven't been very good at that yet. You know, we haven't gotten to the point where like, oh, you know, what we should sell these guys on. This would really benefit them. You know, we haven't gotten into the rhythm of doing stuff like that. Do you have any recommendations for sort of upselling? Well, I, I would say definitely prioritize it more because that, that has the potential to increase your revenues, in my experience, 10 to 20% a year. From from the existing clients, you know, it it certainly depends on your client base. Not every client is is open to being upsold, but you know, ultimately prioritize it. The key is to think about how is your client benefiting from this, and for that to work, you need to know what are their business goals, and also, if possible, what are their personal goals? What are they trying to accomplish in in life? You know, for instance, if you know that their boss is on them about a particular corporate initiative. You may be able to frame your upsell as a way to fulfill that initiative so that their boss is happy, they look good to their boss, maybe they get promoted. Mm-hmm. That, that definitely, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that, you know, um, we, our service offering is sort of narrow and we've actually narrowed it. So, but there, there's always those opportunities to be like, oh, we could add this feature or we could, you know, build you another website or we could, um, you know, enhance your analytics setup or something like that um, so that you can see more data. There definitely are opportunities. It's just something we need to be a little more aggressive. And there's always that sort of 
being crushed under the load of the work that you have that (laughs) sort of makes those things difficult. I I do have some clients who will share that they're they're afraid to to upsell or afraid to bring in more clients because they're not sure how they're going to get the work done. Typically, that's a sign that they they have a mix of team structure problem and some project management challenges. But I mean, you know, as you're as you're thinking about that, a key is if you're if you're thinking of proposing a new feature, make sure that again it's from the client's perspective. You know, it, it is not compelling to say our front end developer really wants to try out this cool new HTML5 thing, right. and we we think you're the one to pay for it. Uh, you know, focus instead on uh, you know based on the shift to to increasing you know, mobile devices, this is going to make your life easier in this way or that way. Gotcha. What what are some of the most common mistakes that you find agencies doing? (laughs) Well, I I mean, that that could be a a range of things. Uh, You know, one starting point is running the agency in a way that is contrary to their their long-term goals. You know, if you are, if you want a lifestyle agency, you should not be hiring people extremely fast. That is just going to increase your stress levels, and there's a risk of overhiring. Uh, on the other hand, if you're high growth, you probably need to be hiring people pretty quickly to to keep up with with things. So certainly, run your agency in line with your long term direction. That's an important one. Another one is around not not tracking things. Part of my intake process with new clients is to ask about certain financial stats, and one of the questions is related to their billable ratio. And people often don't know it, you know. And I'd say that's that's fairly common. I'll also ask though what their net profit margin is, and sometimes people don't know that. Mm-hmm. And to, to me, that's a big red flag. If someone is the owner of an agency yet doesn't know their their current profit margins. Yeah, I can see that. One other consideration is finding a balance on what what I call warmth and competence. It's this concept that comes from the book The Human Brand by Chris Malone and Susan Fisk. And the idea is that in every interaction with other people and with companies, you're judging them by their warmth and their competence. So from an agency setting, warmth is are you making clients or employees feel special? Are you making them feel valued that it's not just about the money? That's the warmth side. And then on the competence side, that's about getting the job done. You know, are you getting things done by the deadline? Are you getting things done in scope? And the challenge is that a lot of agencies focus too much on competence. And, and, and to be sure, you want to get things done as promised, but they may lag on warmth so that their clients are thinking, well, you know, they generally get things done. But the client is going to remember that, you know, for instance, you accidentally embarrassed them in front of their boss at a meeting <laughs> because you didn't plan ahead before that that boss-facing meeting about what was going on. So uh, ultimately, agencies tend to get fired more often for low warmth than for low competence, although it can be both. Interesting. That, yeah. That's good advice. <laughs> 
We've been putting together these gift baskets for our clients when um, either they do something nice for us or we've just landed them as a client. We we found a company that will put together these gift baskets for us, and everyone in the office chose one item, like under $5, that meant something to them, and then they um, all go into the gift basket, and then we send it out to the client. So they get a list of like all the employees and what they picked, and then all the items in the gift basket. Nice. What what kind of reaction have you have you seen on those so far? Really positive. I think that excellent. I think that it's we did one round where we sent out like ten or fifteen of them, and now we've got we've got a bunch more that we're going to be sending out. So nice. It's just a nice way of sort of saying like we appreciate your business, we appreciate you as a company, and thankfully we've got a nice. Um, a really great account director who's always really happy to share love with our clients. So nice. She's a, she's a winner. <laughs> One other suggestion on upsells, because it sounds like that's uh, certainly for Murmur is a priority, but I'm guessing for most people listening, they'd like to do more upsells. Mm-hmm. The ideal upsell is one that the client requests themselves. You know, they're upselling themselves. And one way to prime clients for that is to share examples of work you're doing currently or recently for other clients of your agency. And the key is you need to drop that into conversation in ways that seem natural rather than like a pre-roll YouTube ad or something like that. Uh, but that might be saying, you know, for instance, uh, you know, you ask how their week's going, they ask how your week's going. Part of your response might be, yeah, we just got back from doing a video shoot for a client who's launching a such and such. Uh, you know, really excited to to see how that turns out. Well, now they know that you do video. Now that they know that you're helping a client launch something, hmm, that might come in handy the next time they have that need themselves. That makes sense. Yeah, that's definitely something we could do more is sort of showcase what we're doing unique for other clients. Exactly. And and the key of said you you don't want it to, I think clients sometimes have this this sense that that your for your agency they are the the only client that that's not true of course mm-hmm. uh, but you know you, you generally don't want to create a, a sense of competitiveness that oh you know other clients are getting more attention or things like that mm-hmm. but if you're dropping it into conversation in a in a normal way that should be fine cool well I always like to ask our guests um, for three takeaways these would be you know bits of information that you would like to share um, you are particularly qualified to uh, offer advice to agencies so um, what would you like to offer hmm when you run into a situation that a client wants something that's not included use those seven magic words would you like an estimate for that mm-hmm. make sure you point two make sure you are over time doing things to improve your estimates a lot of agencies ask for advice or ask my advice on how to raise their hourly rate if they're pricing hourly in my experience you can raise your profits a lot faster by doing better estimates at your current hourly rate or rates interesting so get your estimates right uh, I think we'll have the the creating better estimates article in the show notes. Check that out. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, think about where you want to go. I, I have a tool that I've created called an advanced retrospective. You know, retrospective is looking at the past, and an advanced retrospective is looking at the past before it happens. <laughs> so that 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 is to say, write about the future before before it actually happens. I, I do one of those every year and and do those with my clients as well. So I'm writing about, you know, it's December 31st, such and such, you know, a, a year away kind of thing. Uh, it's a great day because 
blank. And then people, I fill it in, people fill it in. There's no right or wrong answer, but ultimately when you're visualizing the future, it's easier to work backwards, figure out what it's going to take to get there. That's the advanced retrospective. Nice. Do, do you recommend sort of having that sort of like five, 10, 20 year, uh, you know, plan in your back pocket? I, I do. And, you know, certainly that's going to vary for, for each person. I, I came across something I wrote in high school and it was, a, it was a prompt for a writing class. And the prompt, I was 17 when I wrote it. Uh, this was, uh, by the time I am 30, I must do such and such. And I, I came across the list. And uh, in fact, by the time I was 30, I had completed 83% of the goals. Nice. Even though I had not looked at it, That's awesome. you know, in, in, in 13 years, I'm currently writing, you know, usually I'll do an advanced retrospective for the coming year uh, with my clients. Sometimes it'll be a one year one. Sometimes it's five years, say, if they're looking to sell their agency. Uh, other times it'll be around a milestone birthday, you know, for them when they're turning 35 or 40 or 50. Uh, so, you know, th that helps. I, I'm currently writing an advanced retrospective as of my 90th birthday. Well. <laughs> which you know is a little crazy uh but you know ultimately my thought is well let's let's look back at at what you know what I'd like to have accomplished uh, business wise personally so on uh because you know then conveniently I'll have uh, I'll have 55 years to get it done that's awesome I, I, otherwise I, I guess my view is that if you if you don't have a plan for where you want to go life is likely life is just going to happen. Well, that's great advice. It's been so great talking to you, Carl. And uh, it's also, I think, going to be valuable to our listeners to hear this and know that there's um, an agency advocate and uh, um, consultant like you out there if they do need help with their agencies. Your website is com. Uh, uh, and if you go there, I've got over 200 free articles with all kinds of advice. I, I would also in encourage people to sign up for my newsletter, get free advice on a regular basis about improving your agency, and also get a an instant copy of, of one of my one of my books. Uh, it's an ebook called Don't Just Make the Logo Bigger, Taking Clients from Painful to Profitable. <laughs> You'll get that right, right away when you sign up for the newsletter. That's excellent. And a great title. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining me. And uh, yeah, um, I imagine that if uh, our listeners have questions, they can reach out and uh, and contact you. I am glad glad to help. Uh, always glad to help people sort out if it is a fit, and if not, glad to point people to the right resource. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Chris, great to be here. You've been listening to the Creative Agency Podcast with your host, Chris Bolton. When he's not podcasting or being a dad, he's the Digital Strategy Director at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon. Be sure to visit us online at creativeagencypodcast.com.